Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we're glad you're here today. If you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy. It's right behind 1 and 2 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn in the back part to page 166, and you would be located at 2 Timothy. You know, life is all about choices, and we make hundreds of choices daily. For example, what are you going to do when you first wake up in the morning? That's a choice you have to make. Are you going to brush your teeth or not? Are you going to comb your hair? Are you going to pop on a hat? What are you going to eat? Or are you going to skip breakfast in the morning? Hundreds of choices that we make daily, but not all choices are equally significant. Some choices are low significance choices. I remember one time I went to the store and I counted up how many different types of toothpaste there were there. 36 different kinds of toothpaste. And that's a choice that we have to make, but it's a low significance choice. But then there are also high significance choices. Like, for example, what vocation are you going to choose? Uh, Whom are you going to marry? What are the values that you're going to build your life around? Those are high significance choices. There's a saying that's been around for many, many years that says this, the choices you make, make you. And thus, we should choose wisely. Well, when we have come to the second chapter of 2 Timothy Paul is talking about some choices we need to make if we want to steer clear of spiritual catastrophe, choices we need to make if we want to experience spiritual steadfastness in our Christian life. And I just want to remind you, we've been looking at them. The first choice we saw is to choose to be a diligent workman, and we saw that in verses 14 to 19a. Let your eyes go back to verse 15 where he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And we need to choose to be a diligent workman because there are people out there who distort the word of God. There are people out there in the Christian community who are divisive, who thrive on controversial questions, who crave word battles, who like to get into meaningless disputes that cause strife. I've always been impressed by Proverbs chapter 6. It says there are six things the Lord hates, actually seven that he detests. And you can go look at that list. But the last one in the list is someone who spreads strife among brothers. Or as the New Living Translation says, sows discord, or the NIV, stirs up dissension among brothers. God is turned off by that. So we learn that we need to be diligent. We need to make every effort to handle the word of truth accurately. A second choice we've already looked at is that he says we need to choose to be a vessel of honor if we're going to be spiritually steadfast. We saw that in verses 19b to 22. Go back to the last part of verse 19. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. 
Literally, that word abstain means to stand off from. Brian Chappelle talks about what he calls the new legalism. And the new legalism is something that's quite hip today. And he says, really, this new legalism is a caricature of the old legalism that you would often hear among the evangelicals, which would say, these are legalists speaking, if you're, you're not really a Christian, that's what the old legalism said, if you smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. Those of you who are a little older know you've heard that one before. Well, the new legalism seems to counter that by saying, you're not really a mature Christian if you don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. This new legalism seems to imply that you need to swear, you need to cuss a little bit just to show that you really understand your freedom from the law. But Paul says we're to be a vessel of honor, we're to be useful to the master, we're to hunt down with resolve. Remember this in verse 22, righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we're looking at all these choices. Today we're coming to choice number three. If we're going to be spiritually steadfast, we need to choose to be a gracious servant. And we see that in verses 23 to 26. And if you have your Bibles open, I want to read those verses, invite you to follow along. Paul says in verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, as we tackle this choice of choosing to be a gracious servant, we have an outline to understand the verses that we have just read. And here's the outline. Number one, we're going to look at the call to be a gracious servant. Secondly, we're going to look at the context of that call. Then we're going to look at the characteristics of a gracious servant. We're going to see there are five of them. And then we're going to look at the aim of being a gracious servant. So that's where we're going. It's early on a Sunday morning. Are you ready to travel? Here we go. Let's begin by looking at the call to be a gracious servant. It's right there in verse 23. He says, we are to refuse something. This is a command in the original language. The NIV says, don't have anything to do with. We are to refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. This word foolish is the word moras in the original language, M-O-R-A-S. We get the word moron from it. Those kind of speculations that are foolish and ignorant. Ignorant just means that someone's uninformed. There's really no true spiritual development behind their speculations. And guess what? It produces quarrels. Literally, the picture is it gives birth to quarrels. 
I think the New Living Translation translates it here. Uh, they start fights. And we've already seen this background in this chapter, the idea of getting into word battles and getting into disputes about controversial questions. And I think what Paul is saying is this, as you are tangling with all those petty issues, lost people are dying and spiritual people are not growing. And this is the call to be a gracious servant. I want you to go look at the first part of verse 24 with me, please. Notice it says, the Lord's bondservant must be. Let your eyes go to those words, the Lord's bondservant. Guess who that is? That's you. That's me. That's who we are. We're the Lord's bondservant. We're the Lord's slave, and we need to remember truly who we are. You know, we're not just living our life the way we want to live our life. We owe it all to him, and we need to remind ourselves who we truly belong to. We are the Lord's, and we need to be a gracious servant. Now, I just want to remind you of the context of this choice that we are to make. And if you just look at the overall context of what's happening, the primary context in which we are to be a gracious servant is to be inside of the spiritual church family. That is the primary context that we need to be thinking about. It's especially true for those of us who have spiritual leadership in various dimensions of the local church. So that is the primary context that he's talking about here. But I believe it also can apply and should apply in principle to our personal family, not only our spiritual church family, but to our personal family. That's a secondary application of these verses. In other words, these verses apply to men, they apply to women, they apply to young people. And frankly... I think they especially apply to those of us who are husbands and dads. But there are lessons for us all in these verses. I don't want you to just think about someone who's a spiritual leader in the church alone. The principles apply to all of us. So having laid all that out so far, we've seen the call, we've seen the context, let's just dive into these characteristics. What are the characteristics of a gracious servant? And the first one is listed there in verse 24. It says, the Lord's bondservant, that's a description of you and me, must not be quarrelsome. A gracious servant is not quarrelsome. This, this word just comes from the original language word that means to fight. And in fact, it was used of hand-to-hand -hand combat. But again, the context of all of this isn't, isn't that we're punching one another out. It's the war of words that we tend to have. And we should not be quarrelsome, not be quick to start fights, not be quick to accelerate fights. Remember what he said back up in verse 22? We are to pursue, chase after with vigor, righteousness, faith, love, and what's that last one? Peace. In other words, a gracious servant seeks to steer around strife when it is possible. 
A gracious servant is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You can just jot down 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. You can go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 3. The context of chapter 3 is a context of marriage. Very interesting passage. But it says in, in those verses there, if you want to inherit a blessing, anyone want to inherit a blessing? I don't know. I'd like to. If anyone wants to love life, anyone want to love life? Yeah, I would like to do that. If anyone wants to see good days, anyone want to see good days rather than, than bad days? It says this. Seek peace and pursue it. Make it our target and run after it with energy. You know, when you have, think about this in a relationship, you have two troublemakers, what have you got? You've got a big problem, don't you? When you have one troublemaker and one peacemaker, now you've got far less of a problem. But what if this happens? You have two peacemakers. Problem solved when you have that situation. And so if we are going to be a gracious servant, if we're going to choose to be a gracious servant, a gracious servant, number one, not quarrelsome. Number two, look at that one. A gracious servant is kind to all. This word that's translated here, kind, is also sometimes in the New Testament translated gentle. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Gentle to all. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says to the believers, he says, this is the way I related to you. I related to you in a gentle way, same word. And then he uses this descriptive, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. What does it mean when it says that as a gracious, gracious, gracious servant, that we're kind to all? It means that we're not mean-spirited. It means that we don't put people down. It means that we don't manhandle people with truth. It means that we're not overbearing. We don't browbeat people. See, when we're kind to all, that means we display good manners towards people. You know, when I was growing up spiritually, uh, back in the late 60s and the early 70s, there was a, a pastor and Bible teacher from Houston, Texas. His name was Lieutenant Colonel R.B. Theme. Some of you may doubt have heard of him. And he was a very interesting dude. But he was very harsh and very forceful, and very cutting in the way that he taught. And in the late 60s, this actually happened in his church down in Houston, he was preaching a Sunday morning sermon. And you have to remember that in the 60s, a lot of us wanted to grow our hair longer, and it was quite a radical departure for someone who grew up in the 50s. You know, it seemed to be very rebellious and everything. And R.B. Theme is actually preaching his message and he notices a young man sitting a little bit back toward the middle of the auditorium. He came in and sat down there, and R.B. noticed that he had long hair. And R.B. Theme stopped his message from the pulpit, told that young man to stand up, 
told him he was violating scripture by having his hair long and he was not welcome in their church. That is not being kind. That is not being gentle with people. Now, to give you a little contrast on the other side, when I was in seminary, um, Dr. Charles Ryrie, many of you have heard of maybe Dr. Ryrie, he was one of the very first ones to put out a study Bible. He was one of my professors, and I got to know him. I spent a little bit of time in his home. But he was a, a general spoken man, sort of the opposite personality to R.B. Thiem. And he said to me this one time, he said this to me one time, he said, you know what, when you deal with people, you need to be irenic with them. I-R-E-N-I-C. You need to be irenic, which really comes from a word in Greek, ultimately, that means peace. Being irenic towards people means that you're peaceable towards them, that you stress harmony rather than being contentious. Now, someone who's irenic is not namby-pamby. They're not wishy-washy. They're just marked by kindness and fairness, even when there's a disagreement. And what was interesting, in the years after I left seminary, Dr. Ryrie came under uh, fire. He became the target for some very unfair and accurate criticism of some of what he wrote and some of the theological positions that he had taken. And I even knew some of the people that were authoring these things, and I actually went to them, and I said, have you sat down with Dr. Ryrie and and talk about what you're saying, about what he believes, because I don't think he believes that. No, 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 but he wrote it in a book or an article, you know, and we've created this whole big, you know, blah, 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 this is what he said. And so and I said, you know what, I'm going to go talk to, Rock, talk to Dr. Ryrie about this myself. And so I went to him and I said, Do you, are you aware of what such and such said about you and the way they presented your position? He said, yeah, and he said, I'll tell you, it hurts because they've misrepresented me. See, a gracious servant is kind to all. And when I, when I said some of this is for husbands and dads, is that a word that gets brought up as it describes you in your life, that you're kind to your kids, that you're kind to your wife? See, if we're going to be a gracious servant, we're kind. That, doesn't, that means we don't manhandle people. We don't browbeat people. We're not mean-spirited. We don't put them down. Our wife shouldn't be receiving that kind of stuff from us. Our kids should not be receiving that kind of stuff from us. We have, if we're going to be spiritually steadfast, if we're going to steer clear of spiritual catastrophe, we need to choose to be a gracious servant. A gracious servant is not quarrelsome, kind to all. And then number three, third characteristic is that a gracious servant is able to teach. You see, kindness by itself is insufficient. This word that's translated here, able to teach, is actually one word in the original language. It means being skillful in teaching. I think the New Living Translation translates it, able to teach effectively. Now, if we're going to, and this is in the context of teaching truth to people, we're going to teach effectively. First of all, we must study hard. You can just look at Proverbs chapter 2, 1 to 11 later. It shows us the kind of effort we need to put forth to know the truth. But you can't teach what you don't know. 
So you have to do a little mining of understanding things. And then once we understand it, we need to communicate it clearly. We need to communicate it practically. We need to communicate it in a way that it shows how it applies to everyday thinking and everyday living. And it needs to go beyond just teaching head knowledge, stuff that's up here. That's why we constantly stress we need to be doers of the word. It needs to filter down in our life. Our life should look like what the word describes, not just that we can recite it in our head. If we're going to be spiritually steadfast, we need to choose to be a gracious servant. That means not quarrelsome, kind to all, able to teach. And here comes characteristic number four, patient when wrong. That one's too convicting. Let's just... Let's just skip that one, all right? If we're just skipping this one over, let's just, let's just move right around that characteristic. Nah, we can't do that. A gracious servant is patient when wrong. The NIV says a gracious servant is not resentful, is not bitter. The New Living Translation says a gracious servant is patient with difficult people. I know it may be a little revealing, but anybody here have difficult people in their life? I'm not serious. Let me, let me just say, let's see. Three of you? Okay. <laughs> a few more of you do. Yeah. Patient with difficult people. A gracious servant is patient when wronged. When your spouse degrades you, Patient. When your coworker criticizes you, patient. You know, a great principle to remember here when you are wronged is what I call the 50 20 principle. The 50 20 principle. It comes from Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. It's from the life of Joseph. And here's basically the 50-20 principle. While they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That ultimately means there are no accidents anywhere. Someone who embraces the 50-20 principle takes refuge in the sovereignty and the providence of God. Even when you're wrong, it's not an accident. God has a purpose for it in our life. Patient when wronged. Wow. And then there's a fifth characteristic of being a gracious servant. That is number five. A gracious servant corrects with gentleness. You can just write down, if you're taking a note here, the word meekness because it's it's that word that we've seen before in the Bible, sometimes translated meekness, sometimes translated gentleness. It's used to describe Jesus himself. What a surprise that we should be like Jesus. And gentleness, meekness is one of the fruit of the Spirit also. As we rely on the Spirit, that should be growing in our life. But meekness is a funny word. You know, meekness doesn't mean weakness. When we respond with meekness or gentleness, here's what we're doing. We're responding at the right time, in the right measure, 
but for the right reason, very important principles, at the right time, in the right measure, and for the right reason. And someone who is correcting with gentleness does that tactfully and humbly. I remember a time when I violated this principle. In fact, you know, I can still feel it. I'm going to go to my grave still feeling it. I can, I can remember the room that it happened in so utterly clearly in my mind. My son Kyle was about five years old. And I had told him to do something. Of course, we're on vacation when this is happening, too. And uh, he said something I didn't appreciate back to me. And I reached down, and I grabbed him by the front of his shirt and lifted him up in the air, and I kind of shook him a little bit. You know, don't you... Now, if you know my son, that is impossible for me to do today. Six foot three and 230 pounds. No way that's happening. But was that correcting with gentleness? Was that at the right time and the right measure for the right reason? No, no, no. Not at all. I was not being a gracious servant to my son at that time. Well, notice the aim of all of this, the aim of being a gracious servant. We see that the last part of verse 25 and, the, and verse 26. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God might grant them repentance. See, ultimately, the response is between them and God. Did you catch that? You see, it's never about out-arguing people. It's never about bludgeoning people with the Bible. It's never about bullying anybody. If perhaps somehow God might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. You know, it's interesting how often this happens, and I'm around uh, a lot of people here who are married, and, and then I'm involved on weekends from time to time at Weekend to Remember Marriage Conferences. And uh, it's interesting how often husbands will tell their wives, you're not submitting to me, you're not doing such and such, and you're not doing... And, and how often the wives will say to their husbands, you're not loving me like Christ loved the church, and so forth and so forth and so forth. You know, last time I checked my Bible, those directives were to the husband and to the wife. You know, it, he doesn't say, husbands... Tell your wives where they fall short. And wives, tell your husbands where you fall short. doesn't say that. Husbands are to do such and such. Wives are to have this sort of response. Because the aim is, perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. I don't want you to just jot down a passage it's from the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 11. It goes through chapter 6, verse 1, and then you can go down to verses 9 to 12. 
And what you see is the author of the Hebrews does this very thing with a group of people. If you want to just see how the style of how it's, how it's to be done, it's a great illustration of doing this with the aim that perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. Hoping that the other individual, instead of rationalizing, would realize they're headed the wrong way. Instead of making excuses, the aim is that they might agree with God and do a 180 degree turn from where they are. If perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses, literally in the original language, that they might sober up. It doesn't mean that they're drunk. It's just that they need to come out of their spiritual stupor, right? That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare, the trap of the devil. He, men and women, is the ultimate enemy. He is the ultimate enemy in every potential conflict. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. See, what's so? If, if we are not making the right choices, guess what? We become pawns in Satan's strategy. You do remember that he has a strategy, right? He has schemes. He has plans. And you know what his strategy is? What his goals are? He wants to undermine the church. If we haven't... If we haven't awakened to that, I'm telling you, that's his every hour goal. He does not want a local church being effective in its community. He'll do anything he can to undermine the church. His hourly goal is to undermine your marriage and undermine my marriage and undermine your family and undermine my family. He never gives up. It's always what he's about. And he wants to undermine your individual spiritual life and my individual spiritual life. And he's thinking about that every single day. That's why ultimately it's a spiritual battle living our, our life. That's why in Ephesians 6 it says we wrestle not. We're not in a wrestling match really with flesh and blood with people. Whether it's people in our family or people at work or people in our neighborhood or people in our church. It's a spiritual battle. And guess what? A spiritual battle takes a spiritual battle response. And so it's with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will which is to undermine everything. Everything. If we're going to experience spiritual steadfastness in our life, Paul says, if we want to steer clear of spiritual catastrophe, who wants to hit a spiritual wall? One choice we must make is choose to be a gracious servant. The choices we make, the choices you make will make you. Therefore, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Now, I want to talk very briefly, and then we're going to close our time, by discussing some life response that we can have. And here's what I'm going to suggest that we all do, and that is a prayerful, personal evaluation on where I stand in terms of being a gracious servant. 
We've looked at these five characteristics. A gracious servant is not quarrelsome, kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, corrects with gentleness. There's the description for us. And what we need to do is evaluate ourselves in five spheres. This is when you might write some extra notes down. Am I a gracious servant with my friends? Am I a gracious servant in my family? Am I a gracious servant in my marriage? Am I a gracious servant on the job? Am I a gracious servant at church? Right, so you get the idea? Five characteristics, looking at five spheres, friends, family, marriage, job, and church. And then here's what we do. We ask ourselves as we evaluate three questions. Question number one, where do I need to grow the most? Where do I need to grow the most? And as we're doing a personal evaluation, the second question is, have I been guilty of rationalizing and making excuses? Yes, but, you know, you don't know that, but them, but they, but they, you know. Wait a second now. And then the third question is, what do I need to repent of or repent from? By the way, you do remember that repent basically means a change of mind that leads to a change of action in our life. So we're going to take five characteristics, evaluate the five spheres, friends, family, marriage, job, and church. Where do I need to grow most? Have I been guilty of rationalizing and making excuses? And what do I need to repent of? What change of mind do I need to make that leads to a change of action? Let's pray together. Father, we, we just thank you for the word of God. It absolutely steamrolls me, Lord, how incredible this book is, how pertinent it is, how much it just simply brings me under conviction. May we make the right choices because choices are going to make us in terms of the kind of life that we live on this planet, but ultimately we're doing all this not so we just have a, an easier life or a better life or a smoother life. We're doing this because we want to reflect Christ to our spouse, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our community. Because we have a great God. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.
Greg. Thanks, Bruce. Let's stand and sing together. To our holy Lord. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing Everyone Sing. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord's our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He Together we sing, everyone sing, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled with His glory. Filled with His 
reflect him this week as we choose to be a gracious servant to the people that we interact with. If you're here today and you'd love to have someone pray with you about an issue, we want you to know there's people ready to do that right now. They'll be right up here at the front be happy to pray with you about anything that's concerning you or weighing you down. If you're relatively new to Wildwood, it doesn't have to be your first week or month here. If you're relatively new to Wildwood, please come after the second service to our uh, special luncheon we're going to have for newcomers. Uh, it's Kudoba. I think you'll enjoy it. You go and have a great week honoring the Lord Jesus. Thanks for being here.